Hello, everybody. Welcome to this edition of What's Next on LinkedIn Live. And I have the absolute honor and pleasure to welcome Raja, Raja Manar to my show. Welcome, Raja. Thank you so much, Tiffany. And I must say, I'm so impressed. You got my name perfectly right. That, that doesn't happen often. Thank you. Well, I learned many years ago, I don't know, it was probably 14 or 15 years ago, I was meeting with an executive uh, and I said his name wrong. <clears throat> and it forever stuck with me that that sort of first chance to make that first impression and you sort of don't get their name right. And sometimes it's really difficult, you know, so you just, you know, you might just go, hi, Raja, nice to meet you, <laughs> would be better than getting the end wrong as well, right? Hi. But welcome to the show. You know, Raja, it's really a pleasure. You are the CMO and president of the healthcare business at MasterCard. You've got a new book out called Quantum Marketing, which I'm excited to talk to you about. But before we get into that, you know, there's so many people that I get the opportunity to speak with who want to have a career in marketing. And I think they don't even understand what that means or how to do that. So if you wouldn't mind indulging me a little bit and our viewers a little bit, talk to me about kind of your journey of ending up as the CMO at, at such an amazing brand like MasterCard. So, so Tiffany, in fact, I had a very eclectic career. When I started my uh, studies uh, in undergrad and postgrad, I thought I was going to be into environment in a big way. So I studied environmental engineering in undergrad, and I did my MBA in environmental management. But in the uh, internship between the first and second years of my MBA, I had an opportunity where I overheard some conversation between two executives of that company, they were struggling to get an advertisement right. And I said, why are these guys struggling? It should be so simple. And I just drew a small ad and gave it to them. And they fell off their chair. They said, this is amazing. So, and, and it went on, that went on to win some awards. And I said, now probably this is where I should be. When you get that kind of a recognition and encouragement very early on. So fast forward 36 years, I'm still in that field of marketing. I spent roughly half of my career managing business P&Ls uh, and other half heading up marketing and sometimes both. Like, for example, today at MasterCard, I'm managing the P&L for healthcare, but I'm also the uh, chief marketing and communications officer for the enterprise. And uh, I had moved around the world. That was one very important thing for me, which is uh, to be exposed globally and have uh, experiences around the world. So I was in India and I worked for companies like Asian Paints and Unilever. And I was then in Middle East and I was with Citibank and I was there with Citibank for 15 years in Europe and in, uh, in the United States. I was the chairman and CEO of Diners Club. I moved to healthcare and from healthcare, I came to MasterCard almost now eight years back. So this has been roughly my career journey, but it has been a wonderful journey and I hope it will continue this way for a number of years more to come. And uh, so uh, it's, I would say it has been a rich set of diverse experiences that I truly cherish. And I think that's what's really important, right? The message is it's a rich journey of experiences. It isn't one thing, right? Or it isn't one moment. It's this combination of all kinds of things, especially when it comes to marketing, because I think along the way you pick up, right, insights and understanding of kind of you know, what the craft and art of being a marketer even means and the value it brings to a brand, especially, you know, when you think about MasterCard, you think about the priceless commercial, right? Like 
And, and how many times I've said that when someone says, well, what do you think about that? I'll say it's priceless. And in the back of my head, I go, brilliant, right? MasterCard does something, one word, simple, one word. Um, and so it can be so powerful. But I think we're now in this place where we're kind of at this ex, uh, existential crisis when it comes to marketing. Trust is at an all-time low. You know, there's a lot of noise out there. People are trying to sort of raise the brand value that they have and 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 how have you approached it and 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 you know what have you found got us to this point see actually if you look at marketing it has gone through an interesting journey and somewhere in the mid 90s with the advent of internet on the one hand and data analytics on the other hand marketing really shifted from being a pure right brain uh, field to now becoming a right and left brain field because most of the marketers were more from the qualitative side of the house, they started struggling with the technology and data, and that's an alien field to them. But marketing started really getting a lot of traction because of these two, and a different breed of people started getting into marketing. I think ever since, marketers have struggled to keep pace. They have not been able to keep, uh, keep up with the development, so much so that literally their agenda has been taken away from them and now it is driven by the technologists and the data scientists, which is rather sad. But why do I say there is an existential crisis is because on the one hand, there was a survey that was done by McKinsey, I believe, which said that more than 70% of the CEOs across various companies said they have no confidence in the capabilities of their marketing department or their CMO to drive business growth. That's a disaster. Number two, many companies have done away with the role of a chief marketing officer. Yes. And these are not some obscure industrial companies, but they're the likes of Johnson & Johnson or Hershey's. They don't have CMOs anymore. Third, marketing classically defined was the four Ps of marketing. Now, marketing doesn't handle product in many companies. They don't handle pricing in many companies. They don't handle distribution in many companies, which is the place they're barely holding on or hanging on to half of promotions at the most. And marketing, what's happened therefore is getting fragmented and those fragments are being given to people outside of marketing. And that is an existential crisis, unfortunately. The last point I would say is because the demands of, on marketing have gone up so dramatically, the CEOs and the CFOs, when they ask the question, we are putting in millions and millions of dollars behind your marketing campaigns, what are we getting in return? Unless the marketers are able to respond in the same language, i.e. finance or business language, they seem like fluffy folks. They're saying, oh, my brand awareness has gone <laughs> up and my net promoters. By then you have lost them and you also have lost your credibility with them. And that's the crisis we are in right now and uh, something which needs to change. Well, the, I love the fluffy. That that's awesome. I think I might quote you on that. But you know, I, I grew up in my career on the selling side, and so you know, there's always this debate: sales and marketing, the friction between the two. You know, who owns what and where? And uh, you know, salespeople, with all respect, would say, "What does marketing do for us?" And marketers would say, "What does sales do for you know?" We could do it without them. That sort of dynamic, right? Uh, and I remember when I started managing both and I would argue with myself, which was you know, <laughs> like, you don't do anything. No, you don't do anything. Right. But what I've definitely seen with this advancement of technology is understanding 
not where one starts and stops, but more how they actually flow in and out of each other, right? That there's so much power in it. But the other thing I find is that the service kind of customer service, you know, being potentially left out of that equation, right? Because, you know, sales and marketing and the enablement that happens there, and then customer service is sort of something that someone else's responsibility, right? Going back to what you were just saying. How do you think about that triangulation of those roles within a company and pulling them together? So I'll give two examples, right? At the beginning of my career, when I joined Unilever, uh, and I thought I was a marketing whiz kid, and I was a valedictorian. Theoretically, I was very good at marketing. But then when I joined Unilever, they said that you have to start your career first in sales. And unless you are a good salesperson and understand the dynamics that happen on the street, you will not be able to be a good marketer. I went with a lot of reluctance into sales because I somehow felt that sales was for the less cerebrally gifted people uh, and people only had the uh, gift of the gap, so to speak. But those wrong notions got completely shattered. And I said, my God, this is what sales is. And then I started seeing the connections between marketing and sales. And that initial stint of uh, me spending in sales really stood me in excellent stead for the rest of my career. That's one. Now today, and you're absolutely right, you need to triangulate things and connect the dots. Now, given how marketing actually has to drive the entire business, first, you need to understand what your business is and how you make money or how you grow. What are the levers that you can play with as a business? You need to understand finance because I told you previously, if somebody is asking what is my ROI, and if I'm giving fluffy answers, that's gone. So we have to make sure that as marketers, we understand finance. We should connect the dots between the marketing actions and the financial outcomes or the business outcomes. Third, this is the day and age where marketing is being really empowered and enabled by technology. Many of the CMOs have bigger technology budgets than CTOs in those companies. Now, the thing is that budget comes with a responsibility unless you understand technology at least to an extent where you're able to ask the right questions, you'll be hopeless in that role. So you need to understand technology and connect the dots. You need to understand public relations. Many companies mysteriously, even today, they treat marketing and public relations as two different uh, entities. Now, the more sophisticated, more evolved organizations brought these two together. For example, at MasterCard, we call it integrated marketing and communications. Because if there is one bad tweet, is it marketing or is it PR? Right. It's both, right? So in that kind of a thing. So I think marketers really have to be like Leonardo da Vinci. They need to be multifaceted. They need to be able, they need to have a good appreciation of multiple fields, but a deep expertise in marketing. So what I would say is that marketers have to be general managers with a deep understanding of marketing or specialization in marketing, as opposed to marketing specialists who want to grow linear. So my advice to the you know, uh, people who are aspiring for careers in marketing, I say that you need to have job rotations. You need to spend time outside of marketing and other functions and come back enriched into marketing. You'll be such a superior marketing person then. I, I couldn't agree more. I remember many years ago uh, when I was working at Gartner actually at the time and we were part of the team, I was part of the team that made the prediction that the chief marketing officer was gonna spend more on technology than the chief information officer, which of course sent off a flurry of acquisitions by you know Salesforce and others. Um, uh, but when I was doing events, you know, after we'd made that prediction in front of marketers, I would ask them, "How many of you, in the last ninety days, 
have gone on a sales call. No one, you know, couple would raise their hand, 60 days, 30 days, no hands would go up. So I'd go, how do you even know if what you're doing and saying is working, right? And so I think there's a lot to be said. And, and I, that, I would go back to what I was saying a few minutes ago around doing that same kind of rotation in customer service because absolutely, you know, that is just a gold mine, yes? So absolutely right. And the kind of insights that you can pick up from customer service folks is unbelievable. I think each contact that the customer has, either with your branches, if you are a retail kind of a, uh, you know, uh, institution, or if you are talking about teleservice or whatever else it is, the insights are incredibly powerful. That's like unpaid market research, right? And very authentic. Right, and as a comment from uh, Jose saying, job rotations for marketers and sellers, right? So both, you know, that you, Absolutely. you know, that everybody sort of gets a feel before you start saying one doesn't do th something and the other doesn't do it. In fact, that's a very interesting point. You know, at Mastercard, our CEO now he has become the cha executive chairman. He was actually saying that look, everyone needs to have a stint in marketing before they reach the C-suite. What that does is for the rest of the company to have a healthy appreciation. For, what, for marketing and what it does. And therefore the culture of the company will be such that they're embracing marketing as, to put, uh, as opposed to put them in a corner and say, these guys are sort of, you know, uh, they're doing some vague stuff nobody understands or cares, cares about. So I, it makes a lot of positive difference and Jose's point is very right. Yeah, so that leads me to quantum marketing, right? Because that's what we're really here to talk about. And, and I'd love for you to, because I think that's, it shows the arc of the evolution and why this, you know, you had mentioned very quickly these sort of paradigms, right? That there's four, maybe you can, or five now, but maybe you can step through sort of the first four, because I think we've covered some of it so far, but um, the sort of natural progression, because I really want to get into what we think is going to be next. Perfect. So firstly, marketing has been practiced since antiquity. Right, and we'll be surprised that there were lots of techniques that were used, whether using of logos and things like that from God knows when. The key thing is marketing in its initial paradigm or the first paradigm for centuries literally was focused on the product. I create the best product, give it at the right value, package it well, consumers will come and buy it. Why will they not? After all, they are intelligent, rational, logical thinking human beings. That paradigm existed for a number of years. However, number of centuries actually. And after that, suddenly marketers have discovered the joy and pleasure of what is psychology, what is sociology, what is anthropology. And this, my God, actually people don't really decide logically or rationally. They do it more emotionally, whether they admit it or not. So that was paradigm two. And paradigm two, then you have to tell stories that are really uh, pulling at the heartstrings and that storytelling got really vastly enhanced thanks to radio and to television, two technologies which pushed Paradigm 2 to its peak. Then in mid-1990s, when the internet was born, people could reach consumers or prospects in a very different way, almost instantly. Plus, data analytics got democratized. Till then, data used to be uh, in the realm of nerds, geeks, economists, and scientists. But suddenly marketers discovered that, oh my God, this could be very powerful for us. So internet and data analytics totally changed the face of marketing. And that's where it started becoming like precision marketing or internet marketing or data-driven marketing. This is, these are the terms that came about. And marketing had to really reinvent itself. Then came the fourth paradigm in 2007 with the advent of iPhone, 
the advent of mobile devices in a big way and social media platform like Facebook scaled that year. These two changed our lives completely again and democratization of marketing was at its peak in this fourth paradigm where even if you are a very small company using social media, you can compete and give a tough time to the giants. Otherwise, unless you had scale and big fat budgets, you could not really compete. But now even a small guy can compete very effectively. So that, that's the fourth paradigm. If you look at each one of these paradigms, it was driven by two technologies, right? Paradigm one to two was radio and television. Two to three was data analytics and internet. Three to four was social media and mobile devices. And now we're at the verge of getting into the fifth paradigm. We're in that cusp where it's not two technologies which are going to disrupt, but more than two dozen technologies that are coming at us. Whether it is artificial intelligence, augmented reality, virtual reality, drones, 3D printing, autonomous cars, wearables, smart speakers. It's mind boggling. The number of things which are coming at us is so crazy. And each one of them is going to impact marketing in an unprecedented fashion. So therefore, I keep saying that this fifth paradigm will actually be so disruptive that classical marketing will no longer work. You need to come up with a new way of doing marketing. And that new way is quantum marketing. Well, there's so much that you said there that I want to unpack. But I think, you know, one thing is for sure. I wonder if people would have heard this, let's say 12 months ago, 13, 14 months ago, if they would have gone, ah, you know, one more time marketing and, and then a pandemic hits. And then over the last, you know, 14 years, we've, it's become this home body economy, right? Where everything is happening at home. We're working and uh, educating, you know, depending on where you're listening to this in the world from anywhere. Uh, and now this, you know, market that is real time relevant, you know, in multiple mediums, even virtual reality and, and augmented reality and all those kinds of things. I think people now are probably accelerated their openness to this kind of conversation. Would you agree with that? Totally, totally. The, what I feel good about is I started writing the book before pandemic and made a bunch of assumptions and fortuitously, but though it is unfortunate in one way, when the pandemic did happen, a lot of the hypotheses that I had started getting validated through the pandemic. So that gave me a ton of confidence to say, yes, my hypotheses are right. And then of course I got them peer reviewed and everyone was uh, literally giving me glowing praise for the book. And I said, thank God, I got something which is uh, pretty solid. Well, so, you know, one of the things you're also uh, very keen on is, is marketers to reach all five human senses now that we have all this capability, that that's kind of part of this fifth paradigm as well. Maybe share a little bit about that. Yeah. So one of, one of the things which happens in the fifth paradigm is we will be surrounded by devices in an unprecedented way, right? And you're talking to devices and the devices are gathering data from you. And all this data is swirling around in some ether. Somebody is making sense out of it and then they're connecting with you, communicating with you and so on and so forth. Now, what happens is today already, there is a saturation of information. On an average, an individual gets bombarded by 5,000 messages every single day. Oof. The estimates go between three to 5,000. <laughs> no wonder brain, I'm tired. No wonder. Exactly. Human brain cannot just process this. <laughs> So what do they do? They either try to switch off, they have learned to tune off, 
their span of attention has gone down to less than that of a goldfish. Now it is under eight seconds. They are putting ad blockers at scale. More than 600 million people around the world, at least, have put in ad blockers on their devices, which means as marketers, you cannot go. And finally, they are paying money today to be in ad-free environment at Netflix and uh, the premium channels of uh, Hulu or Amazon Prime or YouTube Red and so on. So when consumers are being in this kind of a scenario, what you need to do is you need to find ways to connect with them in unconventional ways. So far, we are addressing them only through the sight and sound, so to speak, at most. Both of them are not optimized the way they have to be or they could be optimized. So what I'm saying is people have five senses through which they receive information and their brain processes. As marketers, why are we only focusing on the sight and sound? Why not taste? Why not scent? Why not touch? And then we started looking at, for example, at MasterCard, we said, how can we bring uh, the sense of taste to market, MasterCard's marketing? Now, if you want to be very literal about it, you say, I'll create, create credit cards which you can eat. No, we're not creating biscuits, right? But the key thing is, how can I bring in the aspect of taste into MasterCard's marketing? So we started actually creating thousands and thousands of tables around the world. We call them priceless tables in most exotic destinations and serve such amazing food in, a, in, food in an extraordinary circumstance that it gives a phenomenal experience for people, a priceless experience that's truly memorable and once in a lifetime. Then they start actually connecting. Okay, I got this great meal that day thanks to MasterCard or I bought it through MasterCard, whichever way it is. Then we went from there to the next stage. We created our own restaurants. We launched five restaurants, which unfortunately we had to close down temporarily uh, because of the pandemic, like all the other restaurants, but we'll come back after the pandemic is over. But we are creating a chain of restaurants around the world where you say these are priceless restaurants. So you go there, only a MasterCard cardholder can go there and the experience will be mind blowing. We created macarons with ladure, right? And the, we call the taste of passion, the red color, the taste of optimism, yellow color the two colors of MasterCard, right? We started taking it and the kind of response we have been getting is unbelievable because people are processing information. They're creating an association between a pleasant experience and your brand. So it's not like literally making a credit card edible, but it's actually giving experiences about taste in conjunction with your brand. So this is one of the ways that's multi-sensory branding, right? Or multi-sensory marketing. So companies should look at all the five senses and we are actually gra gradually going to hopefully one day go to all the five senses, but right now we're at three. Well, I love that because I've been saying for many, many years, it's a, a quote I often use that people will remember the experience much longer than the price they paid. Absolutely. Right. And Absolutely. so, you know, what is their annual fee? I don't know. How much was the dinner? I don't know. It was priceless. It was amazing. The experience was amazing. And so that association uh, is is absolutely critical. And I think that when I talk about customer experience, right, being the next competitive battleground, here's an exact example, right? How do you compete? Are you going to compete on interest rates? Are you going to compete on fees? Are you going to compete on having a metal card versus a plastic card? Or are you going to compete on the experiences that people have because, right, it's... There you go. That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. That's exactly it. it. Any physical feature can be replicated or even bettered but once you occupy an emotional space in the consumer's mind and heart, very difficult to be displaced.
So what do you think the, the role is of marketing, you know, in sort of where we are as a society, you know, this kind of inclusive marketing um, and using it in this kind of authentic and transparent way, because I think that that's really critical in this fifth, fifth paradigm, right? That if you're going to start to go to all these sense, you have to be really sensitive that you're not just doing it for the sake of doing it, that you're really doing it from a value-based, you know, place. Um, and so do you have any thoughts there? Absolutely. So in fact, I, I wrote a couple of chapters only on these topics, ethics and integrity and purpose-drivenness, right? A chapter on each one of these. You know, purpose has become a buzzword that people tend to use either for political correctness or for the CEO to look good in the annual reports or the investors' day conferences. Now, that's not what purpose is, right? Purpose is to really have a mission, a reason why your company exists and to pursue that purpose with passion and bring it to life through your marketing activities on one hand, and two, through how the organization in total behaves. That is mighty, mighty critical. It requires commitment right from the top of the house. It has to be consistent in terms of the commitment. It's not like, oh, this year I have got some budget, so let me just put some CSR activity here. Next year I don't have the budget, so let me That's not how purpose-driven marketing happens, right? So this is one part of it. The other thing I would also say is there's a lot of confusion in people's mind between what is purpose and what is a cause. Yeah. So they say, I'm doing cause marketing. Now, cause marketing is not purpose. Now, if I were to look at purpose as the North Star, your campaigns, including cause marketing, are the roadmap to get there. That subtle difference is very critical. And if you have the right causes that you're putting your might behind, that all ladder towards that particular purpose of the North Star, that's when the company works very, very well. Now, the beauty is, in the fifth paradigm, because of the democratization enabled by technology and data, competing becomes very difficult. One is experiences, as you rightly said. The other one is trust. People, trust is going to be one of the biggest differentiators amongst the brands as to why consumers will prefer one brand versus another brand. In order to engender or create that trust, you need to really be actually demonstrating that purpose-drivenness whether it is supporting the community in a genuine way, not for political correctness, or not for temporary convenience or just to ride a wave. So for example, if you talk of Black Lives Matter or in solidarity, call it whatever the campaigns they are, you don't do it just because you're expected to do it. It's the right thing to do. You have to believe in it and then do it consistently and boldly take a stance. And you do it consistently, consumers will start trusting you. And this is something which you have to earn over a period of time. When you do that, your brand will stand head and shoulders away from everyone else. Plus also to attract the right talent, particularly the new generation, the Gen Zs and the millennials, these folks want to work for purpose-driven companies. They are willing to take pay cuts to work for such companies. The, the satisfaction scores of employees are highest in these purpose-driven companies. So I think this is where the future is going to be. So it's not just a nice to do to look good kind of a scenario, but this becomes an essential part of your marketing mix to actually give back to the community uh, and to support the causes that the community cares about that are consistent with your brand values. I Listen, you just nailed that. Like, I can't wait to make that a sound bite because I often get asked that question, you know, the purpose over profit and business being the greatest platform for change. You know, you clearly, you know, I work for Mark Benioff that, that that's sort of core to who we are. And, 
you've worked for Unilever and they're very much now, you know, it's very much around those same kinds of co uh, concepts. And, and, and MasterCard. And MasterCard as well, right. Which is absolutely a purpose-driven company. And, you know, many companies, for example, by the time uh, they form a nice foundation, they say we are done with it. Now, MasterCard's foundation is the largest corporate philanthropic organization in the world with more than $35 billion in assets. But still, in addition to that, we as a company do a ton of cost marketing, all laddering back to our purpose. That's excellent, right? And that's the kind of thing people look for to make sure that it's authentic. Um, so Raja, what, you know, well said. Well, I've got, I've got a question as we sort of come to the end of this from our audience uh, who's watching us today. So thank you, Anna. Um, here's the question is, how do we help our change fatigue leaders embrace the upcoming change in marketing? How do we tra uh, train and change the leaders? Train the leaders, you are saying, right? No, she's saying uh, there's been so much change happening that people are fatigued. They're fatigued. Okay. So what do you do if we're now saying we have to change again, right? They're sort of fatigued, especially over the last 12 months. I mean, everybody's been running very hard and fast. So, you know, I would I would say, you know, if you... If you're listening to this and you go, wow, I'm energized. These are great ideas. I'm going to bring it back. And people go, oh, you know, don't bring me one more thing to change. So uh, let me start saying facetiously and then go to the real thing. Facetiously read my book. That's what <laughs> you need to start with. <laughs> but I've got, I really made it like a playbook of how to make the transition and get into that future. But on a serious note as well, which is, I think marketers have to first and foremost educate themselves rapidly, as in today. I spend five hours every weekend dedicated only to learning new things because that's how rapidly the field is changing, right? Have mentors or have reverse mentoring or read a lot, do whatever, but learn. The areas like AI, AR, VR, you cannot afford not to know them. So learning is the first step. Number two, you have to absolutely make sure that you are surrounding yourself with teams or people who understand different aspects. So individually, you may not be 360 degrees on everything, but collectively as a team, you have got everything that takes and you have to work together and coalesce together as a team. That's going to be critical. Third, you need to have partnerships, whether it is your agency partnerships, technology company partnerships or whatever be the partnerships, you cannot survive and thrive alone. You have to take these folks with you. I would say these would be the top three and start educating your CEOs. Take, make them your allies. Make them evangelize your field in the company because when you don't get the support from your CEO in your companies, that's an uphill task. Cultural change is not going to happen easily. And if you, uh, you know, in fact, I have done this multiple times. When you get somebody from outside to talk to your management, the credibility is higher, even if they say exactly the same thing of what you have been saying. Understand these organizational dynamics and navigate them appropriately. Call subject matter experts and say, hey, can you please come and talk to my management team? Give it just talk or a lecture on something. And there are people who are fantastic who can do that. So take advantage of those. I love the five hour weekend because I probably do that in a week because that's just what I do for a living. I don't have a big day job like you do in the sense of running a marketing organization, right? And and I say, be a student of your profession, whatever that profession is. Absolutely. Listen to a That's podcast, a read, whatever your sort of learning tools and your way of learning is. And so I love that. 
Um, I love the allyship and the reverse mentorship. Uh, you know, so if, what that means is if you've been doing marketing for a long time, have somebody who hasn't been doing marketing for a long time, tell you what it's like to try to do marketing today and learn from them as well. Um, and, and I think that this has just been so rich with so much information, Raja, thank you. I'm excited uh, to finish your book, Quantum Marketing. Everybody can see sort of the cover of it in the top right. Uh, I'll also show here if I may. Oh, there you go. This is the book. It'll go. be a lot clearer, hopefully. Yeah, there you good. go. There <laughs> you go. Um, so thank you, Raja. Anything you'd like to sort of leave us with here today? Because we've just had such a great conversation. I could keep going. But, um, you know, in respect of everybody's time, what, what would you like to close us thank out? Thank you, Tiffany. I'll only say just two small points. Number one, what you always might have dreamt as a marketer, you could do it tomorrow because the technology enablement is going to be astounding. As daunting as it might seem to be, the enablement is phenomenal. It's like you know being Alice in the Wonderland. You've got all the tools and everything in front of you. That's the first thing. Second, there is no other time than now to be in marketing because the future that is ahead of us will necessitate companies to deploy the best of marketing to survive and thrive. So you're on the right time, right place at the right time learn and then educate your you know, colleagues and I tell you the future is going to be very very bright I'm very optimistic and I wish you all the very best please stay safe take care and Tiffany thank you so much for having me on this show much appreciated hopefully we can talk again some other time soon absolutely namaste my friend take namaste. care thank day. you so very much bye everybody thank you for joining us go out and buy Roger's book quantum marketing have a good one see you again soon <laughs>